Hello and welcome to the 103rd episode of the Podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead, turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. And I finally got around to it, and this week we're talking about one of the biggest baddies in horror. When you think of the top three horror icons, you typically think of Michael, Jason, and of course, Freddy Krueger. So we are obviously talking about the nine movies and a TV series in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. The first movie was A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, written and directed by Wes Craven. Of course, he's considered a master of horror. He did the Scream movies, Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, etc. This movie was produced by Robert Shea, who's the founder of New Line Cinema. And we already talked about his sister, Lynn Shea, um, during the Insidious franchise and a few others. The co-producer of this movie is Sarah Richter, starring Robert England as Freddy Krueger, Heather Langenkamp as Final Girl Nancy, John Saxon, you remember him from tons of TV shows, he played a cop a lot, and he was also in the first Black Christmas movie, which was the in the first episode of this podcast. Um, he plays Nancy's father, and Ronnie Blakely plays Nancy's mother, and a very young Johnny Depp plays Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn. The second movie was Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So it happened one year later, 1985, directed by Jack Shoulder, written by David Chaskin, produced by Robert Shea again, starring Mark Patton, Kim Myers, and Robert Rustler. The third movie is Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, so that happened two years later. Wes Craven is back as the screenwriter, directed by Chuck Russell, produced again by Robert Shea, starring again Heather Langenkamp and Patricia Arquette, Larry Fishburne in his pre-Matrix days, Priscilla Pinter, and a crazy guest appearance by Zsa Zsa Gabor. The fourth movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Master from 1989, again two years later, Director Rennie Harlan, who also did Cliffhanger, Die Hard 2, etc. Screenplay by Brian Helgeland, Ken and Jim Weitz, and Will Colwinkle, produced again by Robert Shea, starring Lisa Wilcox as Alice, Danny Hassel as Dan, and Tuesday Night as Kristen. The fifth movie is Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, from 1991, directed by Stephen Hopkins, screenplay by Leslie Bow, produced again by Robert Shea, starring Lisa Wilcox as Alice again, Kelly Jo Minter as Yvonne, Eric Anderson as Greta, Erica Anderson as Greta, and Beatrice Bopel as Amanda Kruger. So in case you're wondering, those three movies are like in the sequence, Dream Warriors, The Dream Master, and Dream Child. The sixth movie is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which obviously if you know anything about horror franchises, you know whenever it says the final whatever, it's not. This came out in 1991, directed by Rachel um, Talalay, screenplay by Michael DeLuca, starring Lisa Zane, 
Sean Greenblatt, Leslie Dean, Yafet Cotto, the seventh movie, Wes Craven's New Nightmare from 1994, directed and written by Wes Craven. He is back as a semi-fictional version of himself, as well as the other leading characters, including Heather Langenkamp and Robert England and John Saxton and Bob Shea and Sarah Richter, who, as I said, is the co-producer of the first one. This one was produced by Marianne Madalena. The eighth movie is Freddy vs. Jason from 2003, directed by Ronnie Yo, written by Damien Shannon and Mark Swift, starring Monica Kina, Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child, Jason Ritter, of course John Ritter's son, and Chris Marquette. The last movie thus far is a reboot from 2010, again called A Nightmare on Elm Street, it was produced by Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes. And you, of course, you remember them. They've done tons of horror remakes, including Amityville Horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, etc. Rooney Mara stars as Final Girl Nancy. Jackie Earl Haley is Freddy, since this is the only uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie that Robert England has not appeared in. Also starring Katie Cassidy and Kyle Galliner, directed by Samuel Bayer, written by Wesley Strick and Eric Heisserer. And lastly, the TV series from 1998. This was an anthology series hosted by Freddie, again played by Robert England, and it ran for two seasons. There are another, a number of other documentaries about this franchise. A few of them include... On Netflix right now, the movies that made us, there's an episode on the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, A documentary called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy from 2010. It covers all the movies except for the remake. It's free to view on YouTube. It is seven hours long. I think I watched uh, like four hours and something of it. And it is narrated by Heather Langenkamp. Another documentary called Scream Queen from 2019 is currently available on Cheddar. Covers Mark Patton starring in the second movie and his life as a closeted gay man. And lastly, the Dead Meat Show on YouTube from James A. Janice covers all of the movies, both in kill counts and does a series overview. Interestingly, Heather Langenkamp recently presided as a minister when James married longtime girlfriend Chelsea. So that is pretty cool. And I always enjoy everything that uh, they do uh, in Dead Meat. So definitely worth a look. Where to find these movies? All are currently available on Tubi except for four for some reason. And when I started reviewing these movies, none were available on Netflix. But now the original, the remake, and Freddy vs. Jason is available there. Of course, there are also in the usual spots for a fee, Amazon, $4 each, except for the 2010 remake, as well as Google Play, Vudu, etc. The TV series doesn't seem to be available anywhere, but you can see some clips on YouTube. Rotten Tomato scores. 
The first movie, critics gave it a 95, audiences gave it an 84. This is the highest rating for critics and the second highest rating for audiences. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, critics gave it a 41, audiences gave it a 33. 3, critics gave it a 72, audiences gave it an 86. This is the highest rating for audiences, so they liked um, Dream Warriors the best. 4, critics gave it a 52, audiences gave it a 47. 5, critics gave it a 29, audiences gave it a 31. This is the lowest rating of the franchise by audiences. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, critics gave it a 22%, audiences gave it a 32%, second lowest among audiences. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, critics gave it an 80, audiences gave it a 66. Freddy vs. Jason, critics gave it a 41%, audiences gave it a 50%. And lastly, the reboot, critics gave it a 15%, audiences gave it a 43%. This is the lowest rating in the franchise for critics. Okay, onto the plot. Typically what I'll do is um, go over a little, do a brief synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes and then just talk about a little bit of the specifics of the movie. Since there are so many, I'm not going to go into them in a lot of detail. In terms of continuity, A Nightmare on Elm Street at least has um, some continuity between the episodes, which is more than I can say for a lot of franchises. The first movie, Rotten Tomatoes says, in Wes Craven's classic slasher film, several Midwestern teenagers fall prey to Freddy Krueger, a disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which in turn kills them in reality. After investigating the phenomena, Nancy begins to suspect that a dark secret kept by her and her friend's parents may be the key to unraveling the mystery, but Nancy and her boyfriend Glenn... Can Nancy and her boyfriend, Glenn, solve the puzzle before it's too late? The second movie, Freddy's Revenge. Jesse Walsh moves with his family into the home of the lone survivor from the series of attacks Excuse me, by dream-stalking monster Freddy Krueger. There, Jesse is bedeviled by the nightmares and inexplicable violent impulses. It turns out Freddy needs a host body to carry out his gruesome vendetta against the youth of Springwood, Ohio. While Freddy gains influence, Jesse and his girlfriend Lisa race against the clock trying to figure out what's going on. The third movie, Dream Warriors. Rotten Tomatoes says, During a hallucinatory incident, young Kristen Parker, played by Patricia Arquette, has her wrist slashed by dream-stalking monster Freddy Krueger. Her mother mistakes the wounds for a suicide attempt, sends Kristen to a psychiatric ward where she joins a group of similarly troubled teens. One of the doctors there is Nancy Thompson, again played by Heather Langenkamp, who has battled Freddy some years before. Nancy senses a potential in Kristen to rid the world of Freddy once and for all. The Dream Master... Freddy's still after Kristen in this one. Grotesque Freddy Krueger gives some more suburban teenagers something to dream about. The dream child, Freddy, is harassing the survivors of the last film. 
The fifth installment of the popular franchise focuses on Alice, a survivor of the fourth, who believes Freddy Krueger has been eliminated for good. She optimistically hopes to start a new life with fellow survivor Dan. The nightmares begin soon again, though, and Alice learns she's pregnant. When her friends start dying, Alice suspects that Freddy is using the fetus within her as a weapon. Can she fight the demon while protecting her unborn child? And Freddy's dead, the final nightmare. (coughs) Murderous ghoul Freddy Krueger has slaughtered every last child in his hometown. He ventures onto a new location, scouting fresh young victims to hack up with his finger blades. He arrives in a small town in which his long-lost daughter, Maggie, works as a therapist for troubled use. He attempts to recruit her for his dastardly pursuits, but she has other ideas. Father and daughter meet for a bloody showdown that will determine Freddy's fate once and for all. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And this one is obviously very meta since everyone stars as semi-fictional versions of themselves. So Heather, Robert, West, and John Saxon are all in this. This is a uh, this idea is kind of a precursor for Scream. So Scream, I think, came out two years after this. Reality and fantasy meet in unsettling ways in this installment long-running horror series, which finds director Wes Craven and actors Heather Langenkamp and Robert England all portraying themselves as Heather. Considers making another film with Craven, her son Dylan falls under the spell of the iconic disfigured villain Freddy Krueger. Eventually, Langenkamp must confront Freddy's demonic spirit to save the soul of Dylan. And Freddy vs. Jason. Two horror icons face off in the supernatural movie. Disfigured serial killer Freddy Krueger, who attacks his victims in their dreams has lost much of its power since citizens of his town have become less afraid of him. Enlisting the help of the fellow violent murderer Jason Voorhees, obviously from Friday the 13th, Freddy orchestrates a new killing spree. However, when the hockey-faced wearing psychopath won't stop chopping up Freddy's intended victims, the two ghouls start to battle each other. And lastly, the reboot. Teenagers Nancy, Quinn, Chris, Jesse, and Dean are all neighborhood friends who have been having the same dream of a horrifically disfigured man who wears a tattered sweater and a glove made of knives. The man, Freddy Krueger, here portrayed by Jackie Earl Haley, terrorizes them in their dreams and the only escape is to wake up. But when one of their number dies violently, their friends realize that what happens in the dream world is real And the only way to stay alive is to stay awake. On to trivia. And there is way too much trivia to go over, given the number of movies. So I'm just going to hit a few of the highlights here. The first movie, New Line Cinema, was saved from bankruptcy by the success of the film and was jokingly nicknamed The House That Freddie Built. Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time of the shooting is credited for creating Freddy Krueger's nursery rhyme. 
and I, you probably all know it. I think it's uh, one and two, and he's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab a crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. So for some reason, I memorized that when I saw the original movie, and it stuck with me. Wes Craven first came up with the basic idea for the movie from a series of articles in the Los Angeles Times over a three-year period about a group of Southeast Asian refugees from the Hmong tribe, several of whom died in the throes of horrific nightmares. The group had come to the U.S. to escape the murder train of Paul Pot, and within a year of arriving, three men had died, all of similar situations. The young, otherwise healthy men would have a nightmare, then refused to sleep for as long as they could, and when they finally fell asleep from exhaustion, they awoke screaming, then died. Autopsy results revealed they had not died from heart attack, but had simply died. So that's uh, strange, and I guess this syndrome is called... Um, that was called Asian Death Syndrome, a variant of Sudden Unexpected Death Syndrome and Brigada Syndrome. So that's weird. Heather Langenkamp beat out over 200 actresses for the role of Nancy Thompson. Among them were Jennifer Grey, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, Tracy Gold, and Claudia Wells. The original glove was later used in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and also seen hanging on the wall of the workshed in Evil Dead 2. This was in response to the use of the Evil Dead on a television screen in the original Nightmare film and part of a continued battle between directors Wes Craven and Sam Raimi. However, when Wes Craven loaned the glove to Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, it got lost, and it is rumored to be in possession of Robert England's agent. In the original script for the original movie, Freddy was a child molester. However, the decision was made to change him into being a child murderer to avoid accusations of exploiting a series of child molestations in California around the time of production. He was rewritten as a child molester again in the 2010 remake, of course, starring Jackie Earl Haley. This movie was shot in 32 days and is the film debut of Johnny Depp. It cost $1.8 million to produce, and that was a figure that was made back in the opening weekend. It took about three hours to get Robert England into his Freddy makeup. Uh, Amanda Weiss was handing out candy at her mom's house on the Halloween following the film's release and was surprised to see so many trick-or-treaters dressed as Freddy. She eventually told them that she played Tina in the movie, but they didn't believe her. Um... The idea behind the glove was a practical one on Wes Craven's part. He wanted to give the character a unique weapon, but also something that could be made cheaply and wouldn't be difficult to use or transport. 
At the time, he was studying primal fears embedded in the subconscious of people of all cultures and discovered that one of those fears is attacked by animal claws. Around the same time, he saw his cat unsheath its claws, and the two concepts merged, although in the original concept, the blades were fishing knives, not steak knives, as in the finished film. Um, the sparking glove effect, which is pretty cool, seen throughout the movie, was achieved by attaching the glove to a car battery. And the scraping noise was created by scratching a steak knife on the underside of a metal chair. According to Robert England, he based his physicality of Freddy on Klaus Kinski's performance in Werner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979. The words Elm Street are not spoken at all during this film. Um, Freddy's sweater was originally a different color. Uh, they originally thought it would be yellow and red. However, when Wes Craven read an article in Scientific American in 1982 that said the most contrasting colors for the human retina are red and green. So he decided to go with those colors. The little girl skipping rope was the daughter of the couple whose house they used as Tina's house. Freddy Krueger was designed by Wes Craven to be the typical silent serial killer such as Jason or Michael. However, in sequels, Freddy developed a cheeky persona that enabled him to be the black-humored villain. Prior to making this movie, Amanda Weiss had never seen a horror movie and Heather Langenkamp had only seen 1976's, I think, Burnt Offerings. The scene where Freddie presses through the wall above Nancy, which is a cool visual, was shot by stretching a sheet of spandex across a hole in the wall and pressing against it in the shot. Freddie is played by special effects designer Jim Doyle. For the scene where Freddy attempts to drown Nancy, the film crew used a water tank that was covered in black. This gave the impression that Nancy's bathtub was bottomless. Wes Craven wrote a script in 1971 to try to sell to a major studio, but no one wanted it. He said it just flew around for three years until New Line Cinema picked it up. And the scene where Nancy's dreams are examined when her hair turns white, the nurse is played by Wes Craven's thin wife, Mimi Craven. Nancy's house has a blue door in this movie. In all the sequels, it has a red door. Charlie Sheen, John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Keith Sutherland, Nicolas Cage, and C. Thomas Howe were all considered for the role of Glenn. In part three, Nancy mentions taking a drug so she won't dream. This drug, Hypocil, ends up being a major plot point in later Freddy movies. Um, we already talked about the show supposedly 
taking place in Springwood, Ohio, even though in this movie you see a couple of palm trees. The movie almost folded before production began. Smart Eggs production was supposed to put a million dollars into the movie, but it dropped out several days before filming began, and Robert Shea had to try to raise money elsewhere. According to Heather Langenkamp, the melting staircase scene was shot using pancake mix. This was only the second movie produced by New Line Cinema. The first was Alone in the Dark, directed by Jack Shoulder and starring Jack Palance. However, it was given a very limited theatrical release, and when it performed poorly and received bad reviews, it was released straight to video. As such, this movie was New Line Cinema's first genuine mainstream cinematic venture. Wes Craven had helped Sean S. Cunningham by working on several shots for Friday the 13th, and Turn Cunningham directed a few shots near the end of the production of this movie when several units were working at once. This movie's ranked number 17 on Bravo's The 100 Scariest Movie Moments from 2004, and Freddy Krueger was ranked number 40 on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes, and Villains list. And I already said it, but Lynn Shea, the sister of Robert Shea, appears in a small role as the teacher. She has appeared in several horror movies, specifically the Insidious series, and she starred in almost every New Line horror film in various roles, garnering her the title of Scream Queen. This movie was also ranked number 11 in Entertainment Weekly's 25 Scariest Movies of All Time. Ronnie Blakely played a country superstar in Nashville, 1975, several years before playing Nancy's mom. Connie Britton, who played the same role, though the character's name was altered in A Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010, later went on to play a country superstar in the unrelated television series Nashville from 2012. Tina mentions to Nancy that a big earthquake might be coming, which foreshadows New Nightmare, in which there are several earthquakes. Uh, Robert England, you may not remember, but I first saw him as the iconic um, lizard in NBC's V from 1983, and he was kind of the comic relief there. So that was a fun series I wish had lasted longer, and also I wish the remake had lasted longer. I guess it was too expensive to make. Tina's name is mentioned 39 times throughout the course of this film. Kane Hodder, of course, who plays Jason on Friday the 13th, auditioned for the role of Freddy. He would briefly play Freddy's arm and did his last laugh at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, that sets up the Freddy vs. Jason movie. Johnny Depp's next high-profile movie role was playing the title character in Tim Burton's fairy tale fantasy horror movie, Edward Scissorhands. 
Robert England and Lynn Shea have appeared in New Nightmare Together, Wish You Were Dead from 2001, and 2001 Maniacs from 2005. In many ways, this movie can be a sequel to Craven's earlier horror hit from the 70s, Last House on the Left. In that movie, John and Paige Collinwood use vigilante justice to kill off a vicious criminal, Krug, who victimizes their daughter, Marie. This could be several years later, and Krug could be back as Kruger, a demon who is terrorizing their second daughter, and makes the trauma from the first movie events, causing the Collinwoods to change their names and even divorce. Craven sort of ripped off the central nightmare concept from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which worked so well for that movie, that going to sleep kills you. He was obviously influenced also by the uh, 1989, no, 1959 Twilight Zone episode, uh, Penchants to Dream, which has a crazed psychiatric patient, Edward Hall, believing that a demon in his dreams, a cat woman named Maya, who's pursuing him and trying to kill him in his sleep. Freddy Krueger only gets seven minutes of film time in the first movie, and over 500 gallons of fake blood were used during the filming. Uh, there's a very elaborate fire scene in this movie, which at that time I think was the longest fire scene that had been filmed. That's pretty impressive. Um, the ending. Wes Craven and Robert Shea differed on how they wanted it to end. Wes Craven never wanted them to be a, this to be a franchise. He just went in with the first movie. However, Robert Shea wanted a twist ending that would leave it open for sequels. He suggested fooling the audience into thinking Kruger had been defeated only to reveal that the final scene itself is actually a nightmare and then in the film with Freddy driving the car away from the house and the kids screaming. Wes Craven hated this ending, and ultimately four endings were filmed. And you know, of course, which one they ended up with. Um, the scene, too, where they pull uh, Nancy's mother through the uh, little window in the door, and it's obviously a dummy, that's a pretty funny scene, too. Um, let's see what else we got here. For the Blood Geyser sequence, where Glenn is killed, the filmmakers used a revolving room set that was used for Tina's death. They put the set so that it was upside down and attached the camera so that it looked like the room was right side up. Then they poured gallons of red water, the same red, the red came from the food coloring, Normal movie blood couldn't create the right effect for the geyser into the room by pumping it down through the bed. At some point, the room tilted and got away from them, and you can see in the movie that the gusher is like tilting, the gusher of water. Um, and people had to die for cover when the room started because the weight started uh, changing. And then I think they also... Uh, shorted out several electrical outlets. It's a cool scene, though. Uh, Wes Craven 
remarked that the room spinning the wrong way was like a, quote, Ferris wheel from hell. During the scene where Nancy is running towards the house with Freddie right behind her, Heather Langenkamp cut her foot and required stitches. So you can see her limping, which is a real limp. Interestingly, the body account here is only four, which is very small for a horror movie. It gets bigger later, but that's what it was for the first movie. Now, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. In the opening sequence, the bus driver is Robert England without the heavy Freddy Krueger makeup and his signature clothing. New Line Cinemas originally didn't want Robert England to return as Freddy Krueger and refused to give him a pay raise. A stepmom was cast as Freddy. After two weeks of filming, Robert Shea realized it was a terrible lapse in judgment, fired the stepman, hired England, and met his demands. This is the only Nightmare film which has a lead character that is male. Kim Myers was cast in the film due to her resemblance to Meryl Streep, and she does look a lot like Meryl Streep. Michael J. Fox was considered for the role of Jesse Walsh, but unable due to his commitments to Back to the Future and Teen Wolf. Will's song was added to the background music anytime Freddy was on screen, adding to the film's eerie feeling. Um, this franchise joins a other films in that a grand condition of horror sequences which ignore the survivors of the prior installment for which would appear to be cost-control reasons. Heather Langenkamp told Never Sleep Again documentary that she was never actually offered a chance to do this movie, and the film's line producer couldn't recall if there had ever actually been any internal discussions at New Line Cinema about bringing her back. Mark Patton, only gay, openly gay actor, had amusingly stated that he sees himself as, quote, the first male scream queen due to the combination of factors, including the film's homoerotic subtext, the fact that he was often depicted on screen screaming, quote, like a girl, and because he viewed the character as a closeted gay man. This is the last film in the original Nightmare on Elm Street series in which Nancy's house is the focal point of Freddy's terror. The rest of the series focuses more on the town of Springwood with the house making an occasional appearance. One of the inspiration for Freddy Krueger's look in this film is The Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. In Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Freddy actually appears in John's Nightmare as a version of of the Wicked Witch. Brad Pitt, John Stamos, and Christian Slater all auditioned for the role of Jesse. John Stamos ended up playing a character named Jesse in the TV series Full House and Fuller House. The film is the only film in the franchise excluding Freddy's Dead and Freddy vs. Jason and A Nightmare on Elm Street, in which no one else in this film reappears in another film in the series or feature anyone from a prior film in the sequel. That's aside from Freddy Krueger.
Robert Shea wanted to play the character of Mr. Grady, which is Jesse's father, but was convinced not to by director Jack Shoulder. Instead, he ends up playing a bartender. A bartender at an S&M bar. Wes Craven refused to work on the film because he never wanted or intended Nightmare on Elm Street to have a sequel. He also didn't like the idea of Freddy manipulating the protagonist into committing the murders. This is the only film in the series where Freddy kills each of his victims outside of their dreams. The sequence where Freddy terrorizes the pool party was viewed by the cast crew and many fans as mostly nonsensical. It is believed that it broke the rules set forth by Wes Craven in the first film, namely because Freddy was attacking people while they were awake. In this movie, Freddy is only on screen for 13 minutes. A uh, cool effect here is Jesse's transformation into Freddy. We get a quick shot of Freddy's eye staring out of Jesse's open mouth. To accomplish the effect, a fixed artist made a dummy of Mark Patton's head with a hole for Freddy's eye to look through. Then they affixed the prop to a flat surface and had someone put their head inside the opening. The only person whose head would fit was the girlfriend of special effects designer Kevin Yeager. It is the only time in the series that Freddy is portrayed by a woman, not counting the time he pretends to be other people in the dream world. And the body count here is 10, so it has risen considerably. And this is the second Elm Street film that ends in a dream. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Kim Sagos stated in an interview that he really didn't want to audition for the role of Kincaid, but his agent talked him into it. On the day of the audition, he walked in heavy rain to catch a bus to the location. And he, I guess he was pretty aggressive with the, whoever the people were that were doing the auditions, and he got the part. Robert England admits that he knew Patricia Arquette would go on to be a big star one day. He also explained how all the guys on the set were head over heels in love with her. According to Wes Craven, the idea for the mental hospital treating the Dream Warriors was not just some riff on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but instead inspired by real-life establishments. This is the film debut of Patricia Arquette and Jennifer Rubin. This is the first writing credit for Oscar-nominated writer and director Frank Darabont. Wes Craven worked with two different Arquettes. Patricia Arquette in this movie and her brother David Arquette would become famous playing Dewey in the Scream movies, which were directed by Craven. He also worked with the third Arquette, Lewis, who played a sheriff, and the first, A Nightmare on Elm Street, as well as one in Scream 2. In the original script, one of the warriors dreams up a giant Transformer-style robot to fight Freddy. The sequences were made, even made it into the storyboard stage, but budgetary constraints made filming it impossible. 
Um, there's a Freddy Snake in this movie, which is pretty cool, who tries to eat Patricia Arquette. The only film out of the first six to not begin with a nightmare scene. Robert England wrote a treatment for this movie, but it wasn't used. Dick Cavett and Zsa Zsa Gabor only on screen for 30 seconds. In the advance release posters, only Dick Cavett was credited because it was unsure who Dick Cavett's guest in his scene would be. By the time the film was released, Gabor had been picked by Cabot for the scene. The scene had been filmed and Gabor and Cabot's names appeared on the one-sheet posters. Uh, Dokken, the heavy metal group, played, uh, composed the theme music for Dream Warriors. And Winona Ryder was auditioned for the role of Kristen, but director Chuck Russell felt that Ryder was too young for the role. Ryder also would later work and become engaged to Johnny Depp, since they were both in Edward Scissorhands together. Um, Brooke Bundy uh, um, is the mother of Tiffany Helm who played Violet in Friday the 13th Part 5 two cast members from this movie starred on the CSI series Lawrence Fishburne who was in CSI Crime uh, from 2000 and Patricia Arquette was in CSI Cyber from 20, what, 2015, I think. Um, let's see. This movie was intended to be the last Nightmare movie that was shot. Um, let's see. While the ending of the film suggests that Freddy may not be dead, a scene in the shooting script makes it clear that it is not the case. I'm not going to read all that. That's a lot of stuff. Nightmare on Elm Street 4. First film in the franchise where Robert England receives top billing in the opening credits. In the script, Rick and Alice were twins. Oscar-winning screenwriter Brian Helgeland was hired to write the film after being recommended by Robert England, for whom he pinned the screenplay to England's directorial debut, which was 976 Evil. The film had a release date set, but no script director, and so he was hired under the condition that he could deliver the script within seven days. He was advised by New Line Cinema head Robert Shea that if the script came in a day late, they didn't want it. Robert England's favorite part in this film was the time loop because it seemed like a visual of a dream that keeps repeating itself. Rennie Harlan got the job of director by refusing to take no for an answer. Rather than accept the rejection, he instead showed up at New Line Cinema office on a daily basis repeatedly requesting to speak with producer Robert Shea. 
franchise producer and New Line Cinema CEO Robert J has a cameo on as one of the high school students in this installment, and Lynn Shay is a teacher. Uh, well, no, she was teacher in the first one, and she's a nurse, and also in New Nightmare. The success of this film convinced producers to create Freddy's Nightmare. Um, during filming, several of the main actors on set were turned off by their co-star actress Tuesday Night and director Rennie Harlan's apparent romantic fling which ultimately resulted in Knife being pampered by Harlan and given special attention while the other actors were tossed aside by crew members. Um, Freddy's line, How Sweet Fresh Meat, was similarly used in Freddy vs. Jason when Freddy says, How Sweet... Dark Meat. One of the only Nightmare on Elm Street films to show the Elm Street house in broad daylight. Debbie's death was ranked number two on Watch Mojo's list of top ten Freddy Krueger kills. During production, the writers, directors, and producers couldn't figure out how to kill Freddy at the end of this movie. Eventually, during a meeting, they discussed the possibility to kill a villain or creature in a film by shooting, stabbing, burning, etc. They then realized that all these methods they were thinking of came from external forces and they decided to do just the opposite, come up with a way for Freddy to be killed by an internal force. Thus the concept of Freddy's reflection causing the souls of his victims to revolt and tear him apart from the inside was born. Uh, and we are to A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. This is the second and last time the character of Amanda Kruger appears in the film series. The idea of focusing the story among children and birth was hatched by executive producer Sarah Risher, who was a new mother at the time, and constantly had her child and her child's well-being uh, in mind. At around six minutes during the sequence in which the nun Amanda Kruger is raped by the criminally insane, Robert England is wandering around in the background without his Freddy makeup on, including one shot in which the camera lingers on him for a few seconds. This is the final A Nightmare on Elm Street film to feature children living in Springwood, Ohio. The only Nightmare on Elm Street not to have any direct involvement from Rachel Talley, who had been working on Elm Streets 1 through 4 in various roles, though she is thanked in the end credits and miss it in you blink call out to the doctor's door in the baby clinic to the Dr. Tally 
Rachel Talley would be reunited with Freddy Krueger in Freddy's Dead as the director. All the death sequences were cut down significantly in order to avoid an X rating. Dan's original motorcycle death was longer and contained much more gore. The graduation sequence went down, was cut significantly to speed up the pacing of the film. As a result, there are several continuity errors. Among the cut footage was Dan's graduation speech, dialogue, a rap song, additional dialogue about parents and future plans, and a scene in which Alice's father gives her a camera that she's been saving up for for a graduation present before she went to Paris, and things like that, which might get a little confusing when you're watching the graduation scene. All of Mark's drawings were supposed to come to life during his death scene, but it was too long and drawn out. And the body count in that movie is only three. Alice Johnson is one of a handful of characters in the three major slasher franchises to survive their killer more than once. Halloween's Dr. Loomis, Laurie Strode, Nurse Marion Chambers, Jamie Lloyd, Sheriff Brackett, and Tommy Doyle and Tommy Jarvis from the Friday the 13th films. Uh, let's see, Freddy's Dead. This is the only film in the franchise not to include little girls skipping rope singing Freddy's rhyme. Um, Alice Cooper said in the documentary Never Sleep Again that he gets asked to be in films all the time, but they always want him in makeup as his stage persona. He agreed to this film not only because he was a fan of the franchise, but he could play his character as Freddy's father as himself without the usual Alice Cooper makeup. This is the first Friday 13th, I'm sorry, first Nightmare on Elm Street, not to end in a cliffhanger. This movie, when released to home video, the 3D sequences were shown in standard format, excluding the UK rental vision. However, the Laserdisc version had the full 3D sequences along with regular vision. Two pairs of 3D glasses were included with the disc. Um, Johnny Depp, a miss it, a blink and miss it moment, is on a television commercial during this movie. It's about 42 minutes in. Um... Roseanne Arnold is also in this movie. Uh, Roseanne and Tom at about 23 minutes in. And Robert Shea appears about 7 minutes in, selling bus tickets in a booth. This is the only film in the franchise in which Freddy doesn't kill anybody using his glove, although he gets killed with the glove himself. Uh, let's see, uh, Risk Craven's New Nightmare. 
And this film, Freddy, is depicted much closer to what Wes Coven had originally intended for the character, much more menacing, less comical, with an updated attire and appearance. Events in this film revolve around Heather Langenkamp having a stalker. In real life, she did have a stalker, and Wes Craven got her permission to weave it along into the story. Um, this is Robert England's favorite movie of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. This film has no opening title to blur the illusion of whether it's a film, a documentary, or something else altogether. Um... The death of Heather's husband largely came about due to concerns that Freddy simply hadn't killed enough people in the screenplay. And Freddy versus Jason. I'm not sure how much of this we need to go over. In several early drafts of the script, two twists were considered that would be connecting the past of Freddy and Jason Voorhees. One considered twist was that Freddy either raped or had a non-consensual sexual encounter or a consensual sexual encounter with Jason's mother, as a result had unknowingly fathered Jason. Another twist considered was that Freddy had worked at Camp Crystal Lake and had either molested Jason as a child or somehow connected to his drowning, being a child murderer and a sex offender, thus giving Jason a motivation to track down and kill Freddy. Both ideas were eventually dropped because producers felt they were too contrived and too dark for the film. Um, Catherine Isabel was quite upset with Rooney, Ronnie Yu, the director, when she learned that by accepting the role of Gibb, something Yu suggested was expect that she was expected to do a nude shower scene. She refused to do so, therefore Tammy Morris replaced her as a body double. There was a great deal of friction between Isabel and Yu, for the rest of the shoot because of this incident. Um, the original script proved to be too long. The characters of Tommy Jarvis and Jenny were eliminated. Jarvis was to be played by Jason Bateman and Jenny by Catherine Isabel. The producers felt Isabel had the makings of Scream Queen. And, of course, she's been in lots of other stuff. We've talked about Ginger Snaps. She's been in American Mary. She's been in Hannibal. So she's a fun actress to watch.
Let's see if there's anything else in trivia. Sorry, I just have to scroll through all the pages because there's like, I think, 80 pages total of notes. Um, earlier scripts that were abandoned for Freddy vs. Jason, including Freddy peeing on the Holy Grail, a boxing scene and a hockey scene, getting beamed by a satellite ray into the sun, Freddy needing to collect 13 demons to reinstate his powers, and all sorts of stuff like that. Seems like this is never going to end, does it? Um, the coming out of the water scene where Jason like flies from the water up in the air and lands on the pier where Freddie is was inspired by the movie Apocalypse Now from 1979. And are we to the remake yet? Let me see. Ronnie Wu originally turned down the directing job because the script didn't indicate who won at the end and wasn't a fan of the movies. He agreed to take the job when Robert Shea told him he could make that decision himself. Ronnie Yu then came up with the idea for Jason to hold Freddy's head at the end. Robert Shea agreed but wanted Freddy to wink at the audience. The kill count here is 24, which is significantly higher than the other movies. Um, oh, in the original ending, Freddy and Jason continue their battle in hell when suddenly Pinhead from Hellraiser comes out of the shadows and separates them. And he says calmly, what seems to be the problem, gentlemen? They, of course, didn't do this because of licensing issues because Miramax owns the rights to Hellraiser. But that would have been really cool. Um, Rooney Mara said being in this movie almost made her quit acting. Jackie Earl Haley scratched his retinas with the contact lenses he wore, delaying production for a short period of time. Heather Langenkamp was offered a cameo in this movie. She was supposed to be a waitress in the film's opening diner scene. She declined the offer. Um... This is the first Nightmare movie that doesn't have Robert Englund as Freddy, which we already know. Rob Thornton and Steve Buscemi were considered to play Freddy Krueger. Well, that would have been interesting. And I already said this movie was produced by Michael Blaze Platinum Dunes after the intense backlash of constantly uh, reading distributing horror films they decide to only produce original content for the genre and since then they have done such movies as The Purge and A Quiet Place so those were very popular 
This is one of three horror remakes to star Katie Cassidy. She was previously in When a Stranger Calls from 2006 and the remake of Black Christmas. Um... Ronnie Blakely, as we said, starred in Nashville, which earned her an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Let's see, death count here, eight, no, six. Dean, Chris, Jesse, Marcus, Freddie, Gwen. Okay, that was plenty enough trivia. Why should you watch these movies? Well, as I said, Freddy Krueger is one of the top three horror icons. And the first movie is definitely a classic. I remember seeing it back in the day, like I said. Um, I enjoy everything that Wes Craven does. So it's worth watching just for that. Um... The Wes Craven's New Nightmare, very meta, so I found that interesting. Um, the second movie, as we already said, featured the first, if you want to call him that, male Scream Queen. Um, there is a lot of gay subtext in there, which the writer, producer, whoever says was not on purpose, but I'm not sure I buy that, given how much there is and how could anyone be that clueless even in the 1980s. And then the last movie, of course, is a remake. Um, has a slightly different twist. I don't hate it as much as other people. But I would say watch uh, the first movie. Definitely watch Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And then watch the Dream Warriors. And you can pretty much forget about the rest of them, I think. Uh, recipe for this week, Geeks, Geeks Who Eat has an espresso cocktail, um, and the Homicide Homemaker also has some soul pizza, which is pretty cool. I will include the links in the notes, so those just pay homage to the franchise. And where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com or check out our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com Until next time, stay away from Freddy Krueger. And uh, have pleasant dreams, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.